0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When considering
1: the Hebrews, how would you determine the identity of a Hebrew or how is their identity established? I mean, we could say in a simple way that the identity of a Hebrew depends on their parents, it depends on their genealogy, that in that way we can make an identification with a Hebrew. And from a historical perspective, I suppose that would be a legitimate way of determining the identity of the Hebrew, but I would like to talk about the identity of a Hebrew from a different perspective, and that has to do with a historical perspective, a historical context that goes back to, of course, Abraham. Abraham was the original Hebrew, he was the person who crossed over the river, crossed over from the river, that's what the word Hebrew means, it means the one who has crossed over, and Abraham left in order to go somewhere else. He left his land, the land of the Chaldeans, and he went out to the west, out towards what we know today as the land of Israel. He went out there because the Lord directed him to go. He said, go and I will show you a land that I will give to you and to your children, So the original identity of a Hebrew was mainly established by the land that was promised to Abraham. That was the identification of a Hebrew and how his identity was determined. And then when Abraham gave birth to Isaac and to Jacob, the Lord conveyed the same promise to them that he would give them the land. And then when the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, they were taken out of the land of Egypt to be brought into the land when the Lord spoke about this land to Abraham, to Isaac, Jacob, and to the children of Israel, when he spoke to the people about this land, he described it as an inheritance. That it was something that they would receive freely from him who was the owner of all land. He would give them the land and that would be an inheritance to them and subsequently an inheritance to their children. And so the identity of the nation of Israel was first and foremost on the basis of being the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then the nation of Israel was identified according to the land that they were able to obtain by the hand of God, the land of Israel. And the entire society of Israel was fully dependent, the entire society was fully dependent on the land, because the laws that were given through Moses could only go into effect fully if they had possession of the land that was promised to them, and they would take possession of it to the extent where they would reestablish an entire new society on the basis of the commandments that were given through Moses. Now, the society was governed according to the law when it was first established. It was governed according to the law of Moses. And the ones who governed that law were the Levites. The Levites were responsible to make sure that the laws were executed appropriately, that the laws were enforced And the people provided the Levites with the food that they would need in order to sustain themselves. The people provided them with some land, some building materials. The people provided the Levites with all that the Levites needed in order to be established as the government, effectively. The Levitical tribe was the government over the other tribes. That was their contribution, their service towards the other tribes of Israel. And they were sustained by the tithes that were given by the other people in the other tribes. Now, according to the law, the Levites were not permitted to have any land. They were not permitted to have any ownership. The Lord described that in the law, where he explicitly stated that the Levites could not receive an inheritance in the land, but instead their inheritance was their God. He was going to be their inheritance. He was the one who they would need to depend on for their lives and their ability to sustain their lives. The people also depended on the living God for the rain in the land to provide water that would be necessary in order to grow crops and in order to grow their societies. That was necessary as well. It's just that it was explicitly stated in the law that the Levites had to depend on the living God personally as the one who was their inheritance. And I believe that this is a foreshadowing of what we receive now in Christ Jesus, that we do actually receive our God as an inheritance today. But I'll come back to that in just a minute. But for now, what I really want to emphasize is the importance of seeing that the identity of the people was very much dependent on the land. It was very much dependent on the property that they owned. Without that, they would have no rights to be anywhere. They would have no means of production. They would have no means of developing wealth, no means of storing their wealth, no means of putting aside things that they would be able to produce during times of plenty in order to save for those times when there would be times of little. They would have no means of doing that, and so as a people, they would have to depend on somebody else or they would have to go somewhere else. There was no way for the Israelite society to truly exist, especially as was defined by the Mosaic Law. There was no way for their identity to be sustained without having land. They needed to have land in order to make that work, and this was described as an inheritance. Now, when the Lord Jesus came, he came and established a new covenant that was not like the old. And the description that we have in the new covenant does not include those things that were described in the old covenant. The new covenant is very distinct from the old covenant, and in many ways they can coexist, but to say that they coexist means that they are both used for the appropriate purposes that they were given for. For one thing, the Old Covenant was given in order to establish the nation of Israel, and through the establishment of the nation of Israel, the people were isolated from the other people in the world in order to ensure the integrity of the people and in order to ensure the maximum opportunity for people to try and live in obedience to the commandments of God. There are many reasons for that, but what I would like to focus on right now is the fact that the people of Israel were isolated from the other nations because of the Old Covenant, The Old Covenant was also given in order to stir up more sin in a person's life, in order to separate them more from their God. In effect, it shows them how depraved they truly are. It stirs up more sin in a person's life to encourage more depravity over a period of time. It leads a person to the point of absolute despair to the extent where they realize that they have absolutely no hope outside of the mercy of God. That was the purpose of the Old Covenant. Once a person acknowledges that, then they are prepared to receive what is being offered through the new covenant, which is the mercy of God and salvation and a relationship with their God, things like that. However, for those who are not willing to embrace the Messiah, who are not willing to embrace the new covenant that is being offered, the gospel, the good news of salvation, for those who are not willing to receive it, the old covenant still needs to be applied in their life in order to drive them to the point of despair. So in that way, both covenants can exist simultaneously. However, this is the problem for the Hebrew. The problem for the Hebrew is that once they embrace the new covenant, there are several things that they're not going to be able to participate in any longer that they would have participated in during the old covenant. Now, don't get me wrong. They certainly can if they want to. However, through doing so, it can be very easy for them It can be very easy for the individual, for the Christian, for the the new creation. It can be very easy for them to negate or neglect or ignore the truths of the new covenant and the reality of the relationship that we have with our God. Let me give you a very simple example. Consider the Apostle Peter. Peter was, of course, a very strong adherent to the dietary laws. But through being devoted to the dietary laws, by living in obedience to them, He was not able to have real access to Gentiles as other Gentiles would have access to Gentiles. He was not able to have fellowship with them in a complete way. He would have to meet with them separately. He would have to be careful not to touch them or any of their garments or any of the things they possessed. There were some very significant restrictions that maintained an isolation ...between the Jews and the Gentiles. I explained this in the series of programs I did on the dietary laws, so I'm not going to get into that in detail right now. I'm only mentioning this to say that Peter certainly struggled with this, as we have recorded in Acts chapter 10... ...that he definitely was living in obedience to these laws as best he could. But he eventually went into the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And when he went into their household, he violated the dietary laws... This was expressed by the Jews in Acts chapter 11 when the Jews confronted him over this. He didn't say, oh, don't worry, I still maintained my obedience to the dietary laws. He could have simply defended himself by saying that, but that's not what he did, which by default, I believe, gives plenty of evidence to show that he probably was defiled according to the dietary laws, which of course means that he was unclean until evening. It doesn't mean that he needs to be taken out of the city limits and stoned to death or anything like that. It just means that there was an issue, that there was an issue that needed to be dealt with, and the law made a provision for that to be taken care of. But what's important to understand here is that there was a distinct separation because of the dietary laws. There were other laws, such as the laws of Passover, that would be an issue. When it comes to the dietary laws, there would be an isolation between the Jews and the Gentiles. If the Jews believed in Jesus as the Messiah in order to reach out to the Gentiles, especially to go out into the Gentile world, it would be necessary For them, in some cases, to let go of the dietary laws for a period of time until they were able to return to the land of Israel where they could observe those fully and completely and adequately and appropriately without it infringing on their ability to be ministers of the gospel. But then again, with respect to the festivals, such as the festival of Passover, the festivals required certain things, certain activities. For example, considering the laws of Passover, In order to observe Passover, you would have to go to Jerusalem and you would have to sacrifice a lamb, the Passover lamb. But if you begin to believe that Jesus is your Passover, that he is your Passover lamb who has established a right relationship between you and your God, that he is the very fulfillment of the Passover lamb, if you believe that, then you cannot go to the temple and sacrifice a lamb for Passover. Don't get me wrong, you certainly can, the Lord is not going to hold that against you. But if you're going to truly believe and rely on the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the foreshadowing of that lamb, then you have to acknowledge that you are no longer obligated to do that. And when that happens, you're going to have to recognize that as you interact with the people there, eventually that's going to come to the surface, eventually that's going to be exposed. You see, as you begin to be led by the Spirit of God, you are no longer going to be led by the law of God. And when you are no longer led by the law of God, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you are in opposition to the Levitical priesthood. And that's the point. And that is that as a Hebrew believes in the Messiah, and as a Hebrew matures in their relationship with Christ Jesus... The law will be reduced in their life. It will no longer have the influence that it once did because the reality is so much better. The reality that was foreshadowed by the law is so much more peaceful, is so much more joyful. It is filled with so much more rest. In comparison, of course, the law has none of that available to it at all. And so when the people begin to depend on the Lord Jesus, and when the people are guided and led by the Holy Spirit, as opposed to being guided and led by the law, then there would be some conflict. And according to the law, if a person does not observe the law of Moses, if a person does not do that fully, then they are to be cast out from the nation of Israel That's what the law says, especially with respect to the festivals. If they do not sacrifice a Passover lamb, then they are to be cast out from the nation of Israel, as an example. They're not going to be cast out of the nation of Israel if they eat a bacon double cheeseburger. It's certainly nothing like that. There are plenty of other laws that were given that the Lord said that a person must be exiled if they don't observe these. Now, of course, a believer can do that. A believer can do that. We have the freedom and the liberty to do that, at least to the extent where others will be satisfied, because as long as they can compare themselves with us, or we can compare ourselves with them, and we can see that we're doing pretty good comparatively, not compared with the law, or comparing ourselves to our God, if we can compare each other with each other, then perhaps we can be impressed with each other, and through that, then we can feel as though we can still live in peace with one another. But the point is, is that there are some who are going to be exiled. There were some who were exiled either because of the threat of death for what they believed or because of their unwillingness to observe the Mosaic law, things like that. People were cast out of the nation of Israel. Now, to be cast out of the nation of Israel because a person chooses to live in full dependency on the living God and the Messiah as opposed to living in dependency on the Levitical priesthood and the law of Moses, if a person begins to do that then they are at risk that they are going to have to separate themselves from the land of Israel. Now, if they separate themselves from the land of Israel, then what is their identity going to be established on? What is going to be their new identity? Are they going to have to take up residency in a foreign country and then establish their identity on the basis of the country that they now reside in because they don't reside in the land of Israel? These are the conflicts. These are the issues. And what will be their inheritance rights? What will be their land rights? What will be their right to exist in a certain area or to develop it? Those are going to be some new issues of concern. And for this reason, I have to say that the identity of a Hebrew is definitely going to be at risk. It is definitely going to be unstable in the event that the Hebrew loses his inheritance rights in the land of Israel because that was the historical representation of the identity of a Hebrew. It was their identification with the land that was promised to Abraham. Without that, then the only thing that the Hebrew will have left will be their identity in their Messiah, which I believe is definitely far greater than our identity in this earth, but instead our identity in the Messiah and the living God that there is a distinction. You see, the Old Covenant provided a means by which a person could have an identity in the land here on earth. However, the New Covenant provides an opportunity for a person to have an identity in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, an identity with the living God that was not made available, that was not promised in the Old Covenant, that was never even hinted at, really. It is only available through the New Covenant, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And what we have received in the new covenant was also described as an inheritance. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, it is written, For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant... Those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15-17, through 17, where the Lord our God refers to the new covenant as a will, The will of God. It is the description of an inheritance that would be made available to the children of the one who wrote it in the event of his death. And of course, the Lord Jesus was our God who manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us, and then he died physically. He physically died, and through his death, an inheritance has been given to his children, who are those who believe that he is the Messiah, receive the free gift of eternal life, who are then resurrected from the dead and made into a new creation, a child of the living God, who is not a Jew or a Gentile, but is now a child of God, a new identity. And with that new identity comes a new inheritance. And what is this inheritance? Well, this inheritance is certainly not land. It certainly is not wealth. It is him, it is our God, it is the one who has created us in such a way that we have fundamental deep-rooted needs in the core of our being, and he is the only one who can meet those needs, and the inheritance is the giving of himself. It is an opportunity to have your God. This was not available under the Old Covenant, but it is available under the New Covenant. He has made it available, he has made himself available in accordance with the New Covenant And he has described himself as an inheritance. And so while the land may be very important in order for a person to sustain their flesh, he, our God, in our spirit, is necessary for us to sustain our spirit, for our spirit to be alive and for our spirit to function, for our spirit, for our being, for the innermost part of who we are, to actually function as he created us to function and to live as he intended for us to live. He is necessary for that, and he has described himself as an inheritance that has been given to us as a result of his death. That is the will of God. The will of God is not what does he desire for us in terms of what we are going to do or where we are going to live or how we are going to live or who we are going to be with. The will of God for your life has to do with a declaration of what you have received as a result of his death. And that has gone into effect. It went into effect when he died. And so your growth in Christ Jesus, your maturity as a Christian, now has to do with your discovery, your application, your making use of what you have been given in Christ Jesus. It has to do with you discovering your God, receiving him into your life, receiving What He has for you, His love for you, His acceptance for you, His meaning and understanding, His purposes, the works that He prepares for you to walk in, it has to do with you receiving Him into your life and then you go and live your life with the abundance of who He is, with the abundance of what He has given to you. That is the Christian life. The Christian life is not about how to improve the quality of your life through the indulgence of your flesh. The Christian life has to do with experiencing and knowing your God so that you can be at peace with Him and live your life with the abundance of who He is. Again, in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, For this reason He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Well, who has been called? Well, everyone has been called. The message of the gospel has gone out to the entire world, and it continues to go out. The Lord our God continually calls everyone to himself. But only those who are willing to receive him, only to those who are willing to answer to the call, those are the only ones who can receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. This inheritance, of course, is eternal in the sense that it is your God who is eternal. It is eternal in the sense that you will never lose it. And it is eternal in the sense that you can experience what can be applied today, but you will also experience more of it as you live your future life in the kingdom of heaven. Then in verse 16, for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. Again, describing the new covenant in context with a will for a covenant is valid only when men are dead for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives now the lord jesus died and he now truly lives but he has died to the world he is no longer alive to the world he is alive to those who are alive to those who are in heaven and to those who have been resurrected right now by his spirit and so I believe personally that this is a way that he is describing the invocation and the application of the new covenant and the importance of his death, not only to deal with all sin, but also in order to give us the abundance of what he has for us. Now, in context with Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 9, in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 9, the writer spoke of the importance of the Hebrews separating himself from the temple in Jerusalem, from the Levitical priesthood, and from the high priest, which is what would happen if they were to truly depend on the Lord Jesus being the fulfillment of all that was described in the law, that there is a tabernacle in heaven that a believer needs to turn to, that there is a high priest, the Lord Jesus, who is greater than the high priest there in Jerusalem. And this separation is further described in the context of an inheritance. Because as a Hebrew begins to depend on and trust in the true and living God for what he actually came to do, as a Hebrew does that, he's going to find himself being further and further separated from those who are participating in the Old Covenant. And when that happens, the identity of a Hebrew in terms of his inheritance there in the land becomes at risk. But in this case, what the writer is saying is that there is another inheritance, that there is an inheritance that has been given to the children of God, and that if you understand and embrace the true inheritance that you have been given as a result of the death of the Messiah, then it can be trivial to let go of the inheritance that was described under the Old Covenant. It can be trivial to do that. It no longer becomes such a substantial risk as it would have been if that's all you had to turn to that you now have a new identity as a child of God. You now have a new inheritance in the same way that you have a new tabernacle, which is the true tabernacle, not the copy there in Jerusalem, that you have a new priest, not the high priest there in Jerusalem, and that you have a new inheritance, a new relationship, embrace the Lord Jesus for who he is. And so this is a continuation of what the writer was describing in Hebrews chapter 8 and in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 9. It is a continuation of the same theme, that a Hebrew needs to separate himself from the Old Covenant fully in order to truly embrace the fullness of the New Covenant. That the Hebrew must let go of the law in order to embrace the Messiah for who he truly is. Now, with reference to the will of God, I have done a complete series on the subject of the will of God, and that would definitely be a very good follow-up to this program if you are interested in more study concerning this subject. And you can, of course, acquire the series that I did through the radio archive on the Internet at livinggodministries.net or you can contact me and I can send the CDs out to you. I would definitely like to encourage you to get a hold of that series and listen to that as I expand more on the subject of the will of God and describe the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death. This is a very important subject, the subject of the will of God, our inheritance in Christ Jesus, what we have received and how we can apply that in our lives. This truly is a very important issue that many Christians struggle with, that I believe is what prevents them from maturing in their relationship with Christ Jesus and growing as a Christian, growing in their faith and growing in their knowledge of the true and living God. I am out of time for this broadcast, but until the next broadcast, I do truly pray that you will continue to discover and apply what you have received in Christ Jesus, our Lord.